morning, Sydney, and welcome to Behind the Lights with me, Seb. And me, Jono. As always, we pay respect to the traditional custodians of the lands where you're coming from, the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation. On today's episode, uh, we're privileged to be joined uh, by former Socceroo, human rights activist, and stand sport football analysis, Craig Foster. Uh, welcome back to Behind the Lights, Craig, and, and great to see you. Yeah, good to see you guys. So it's a pleasure to join you. So looking forward to our chat. Before we get into some of the, uh, I guess, some of the issues we wanted to discuss with you, Craig, today in regards to sport and, and some of the social issues that we're especially confronting here in Australia, I'll uh, start on a bit of a, a lighter note, but the European football season obviously wrapped up now. I know we're now into the transfer window, the craziness of all that, but uh, what did you make of the, of the European football season and obviously Manchester City finally conquering Europe and, and doing the treble uh, under Pep Guardiola? Yeah, it was a funny season because if you look across the major teams in Europe, you know, uh, Manchester United is still trying to build, but um, Liverpool were a complete mess, you know, (laughs) the season before they were in the final of the Champions League and they just completely (laughs) fell apart. So that was unexpected. Uh, PSG basically imploded again, but, um, you know, that was not, you know, it wasn't... uh, clear that that was obvious with uh, Messi being there, you know, in, in yeah. his second season and so on. We thought him, they might be able to develop something. And in the end, uh, Manchester City just completely took uh, Real Madrid apart. Uh, and of course, you had Bayern Munich, who also fell yeah. in a heap. Yeah. You know, they were going well. And next thing you know, Nagelsmann's gone, Tuchel's in, you know, and, uh, and they just got over the line uh, domestically on the last day of the season. So I think it was a very imbalanced season uh, and really the perfect year for Manchester City to do well yeah. but of course they did exceptionally well and in the end uh, we, we you know far better than any of the others where do you see this in terms of Pep Guardiola's legacy and everything like that rank among yeah. you know his successes and even the teams that he's managed yeah I, I, he's up there with the very best in history that's there's no doubt about that uh, I mean you know Ancelotti does have the most Champions Leagues uh, including as a player and as a coach but particularly as a coach of any coach in history uh, and has won across all the top five European leagues and so on. Yeah. So I think that record is very hard to beat. But the difference is you could measure Guardiola against it to say that he also changed football and therefore yeah. uh, you know, that's perhaps the most difficult thing to do. Of all the coaches in history, uh, Guardiola is up there in the top few for redefining the game. You know, Perhaps Rinus Mikel's might have been the last one prior to him, which was Total Football, yeah. uh, back in the Mikel's um, back in the late sixties, early seventies, and then you had uh, Arrigo Sacchi, uh, you know, with his famous Milan team, yeah. uh, and which was another form of Total Football, uh, a very high very compactness and moving together as a team, very high defensive line, and uh, and prior to that, you know, you had to go back. You know, quite a long way. So, that's a that's an amazing uh, a legacy that he has. Uh, in which case, you know, it's in the balance. It's a bit like you know, Pele, Messi, uh, you yeah. know, whoever. Like you know, it's it's they're, they're they're both so strong. Now, I guess another story that's kind of been dominating the headlines in the footballing world as well has been the influence of the, you know, the Saudi state and also the the Saudi league right now and everything. What is you what have you just generally made of this? You know both from their clear investment in everything and also the league in terms of all the players that are kind of transferring over there now, as we're seeing, it seems like every day is another yeah. another big player going over there. So what have you made of all that? 
Uh, well, it's not surprising uh, because football has shown that it really is not concerned at all about what happens outside the gates and uh, it's never ever be, been concerned about where money comes from and so yeah. uh, you know Saudi Arabia rightly say well hang on a minute um, you know Rwanda are sponsoring Arsenal um, and uh, you know you've had all the World Cups with military hunters you had the you know the Nazi Olympics uh, in 1936 and and so sport likes to say that it's upholding you know all of these wonderful principles and values but the reality is it can be bought very very easily and i think that's the most interesting part here is saudi arabia might be you know mohammed bin salman i would imagine might be quite surprised at how easy it is to purchase global yeah. sport right because there was some talk that it would resist but ultimately if you put enough money on the table uh, sport is just going to yep. uh, bend yep. over you know, and straight away just accept the money. So, um, you know, this is the reality. Um, so it's a very interesting time. Um, I happen to think that um, there should be obligations, um, you know, uh, attached to, uh, you know, certainly countries, definitely, coming involved this way. I don't think that should even be allowed uh, where states have these investment funds and now they're taking over sport. I think that's ridiculous um yeah. and and probably at some point it's going to be wound back a bit like the russian invasion of sport with abramovich and the like you know 10 12 years later it's like oh well that shouldn't really have happened well no yeah. one's given the money back that's for sure right yeah. so that's sport how it works uh but it's interesting this this concept that through engaging with sport um whether saudi or uae or other countries are able to further bring themselves into the international community and therefore uh you know can sport play a part in that process of change mm. and particularly in relation to human rights and women's rights and others things um and i'm not convinced by that at all yeah, not no, convinced. you see what's happened with china 2008 olympics mm. and now 222 there's in fact they went backwards during that yep. period yep. so there's many many examples of and if you've got enough money and now saudi arabia are taking a further step forward in that regard offering players hundreds of millions and the like if you pay enough uh people are just not going to care in the world of sport yeah it's going to be interesting to see how that develops and obviously saudi arabia looking at a potential World Cup. I think they may That's not right. go 2030, but 2034 now they seem to set their sights on. We obviously know what's going on with Newcastle, etc. With in terms of the influence they're having on the European yeah. game. And interesting you say that Manchester City are the champions of Europe and they're owned by a nation state. There's no getting away from obviously the ownership model there and, and even our own Melbourne City here are part That's of right. that ownership model. So as you said, it's, it's a growing influence yeah. and, and there needs to be some sort of uh, legislation or something put in put in by the governing body and, and those bodies that control that to, to possibly um, help with this situation and sort of, as you said, not shy away from the human rights issues and, and the, everything else that is behind some of these funds and nation states. Yeah, so what happens is, I read a piece this morning actually from the widow or, or, or the former fiance, because they, they're going to get married of Jamal Khashoggi because uh, he was going to the Saudi embassy in Turkey yep. to get some papers in order to yep. get married. Um, and she was talking this morning about uh, Saudi Arabia and I think particularly Live Golf because she lives in a US. And uh, 
and just saying basically that you know here's the chairman of the um, uh, public investment fund PIF and therefore it is an arm of the state the Premier League in England tried to pretend that it wasn't and in fact what happened was when they then started to take over some of the golf um, there was a court case in US and part of the submission by PIF yeah. was that we are a part of the state and yeah. therefore we have uh, immunity to be involved in this case. So yeah. this is the ridiculous nature of it. Uh, obviously money speaks in sport, we know that. It doesn't matter if it's uh, a gambling advertising that we're seeing now has completely taken over sport uh, or whether it was tobacco advertising, which sport was one of the last... Uh, industries to to get rid of that in terms of advertising uh, you know this is just the way that sport has always been um, so and what she was saying rightly is that by after Khashoggi's de uh, murder yeah. uh, which uh, he was directly implicated in uh, the international community started to step away from Saudi Arabia in a lot of respects withdraw some funds and so on they started to become a little bit of a pariah and the, one of the ways, we saw this with Bahrain as well, which obviously mm. I've been involved with, with yeah, Hakim yeah. al-Arabi, that after the 2012 crackdown where people were killed, murdered by the government, um, one of the ways to engage with the international community and build power again was through sport. So now we see F1 is across all of the yeah. golf areas uh, yep. and boxing and, and others. And now there's a, just, there's a takeover of golf and yeah. a likely takeover of football. Uh, and what she was saying is that's incredibly powerful because it does mean that uh, very influential industries of sport and all of the other sponsors around mm. and all of this, this yep. whole community is less likely to say anything, less likely to, to point the finger in terms of human rights. So it does buy significant uh, branding. It does buy uh, soft power. And therefore, if you listen to the affected groups, uh, you know, you, you understand that this is a very serious path that mm. sport has been set upon. But whether sport is going to care about that, I'm not sure. It was clear very quickly in his reign that Gianni Infantino wanted to be very close to Saudi Arabia in particular. Yep. I remember the rights to, it might have been the Club World Cup in, the, in his first year, um, were some of those commercial rights were granted to SoftBank, which is a Japanese firm uh, partnered with Saudi Arabia. Then there was a big push, if you remember, for Saudi Arabia and others, perhaps Kuwait, I think, to have a piece of last year's World Cup in Qatar. Uh, you know, and so all of a sudden there was a, and Infantino opened that up. Oh, I'm supportive of this because the Saudis were saying, well, Qatar's yeah. got it. It's not likely to come back here for a while. We want in. Yeah. So they were trying to pressure Qatar to open up to have co-hosting rights. Infantino was at the forefront of that. Uh, and he he then wanted to sell a, a newly revised Club World Cup to China, uh, and tried. And in fact, I think he did so, and they ended up it wasn't uh, it wasn't staged because of COVID. But he did so without running through the steps of human rights audit that he's obligated to do. And now, of course, I think that's been granted anyway to Saudi Arabia. Uh, and there's no question with his patronage that they will be able to get a FIFA World Cup very soon. The only que Everyone should be able to participate in the world game. This is the p point of sport. The only question is on what terms. Yeah. <clears throat> and at the moment, uh, Saudi Arabia are buying on their own terms, mm. whereas I happen to think that sport should turn around and say, we'd love you involved. We mm. want every country involved, and we're thrilled 
for you to be a partner in the international sporting community, but you have to do the following things. Yeah. So, and as you said, I think they're probably even surprised at how easy it has been yeah. for them to acquire, as you said, such soft power, both in the football world, we've seen with the golf world, obviously boxing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. They probably even thought that might have been a bit more of a, uh, a bit more difficult in terms of, of terms of being able to uh, you know buy into some of these properties, and it's been pretty easy for them to, to sort of infiltrate and okay. start influencing uh, on a major on a, in a major way. Looking at a more positive story, just changing tax for a little bit here, Craig. But um, we saw the story of Hakim Al Arabi come to the big screen at the Sydney Film Festival. We know it's now on on Amazon, uh, which I've had the privilege to, to watch as well. Obviously, a lot of people know the story of Hakeem and the struggles that he went through and obviously your involvement in, in helping this young man, this young footballer, and getting the football world united to help this young man. How important was it to bring his story to the big screen and hopefully, again, to a wider audience to not only showcase Hakeem's struggles but the continued struggles of some of these uh, individuals that look to, to migrate to Australia or, or other countries um, away from some of the situations that they've had to come out of? Yeah, it's a great question. So, because there's a, a few different themes around the film. So it's about sport, uh, power, uh, sporting politics, and the unwillingness of the biggest sport in the world, football, to actually do something for a kid who was going to lose his life. So it's really about, you know, the, the values of, that sport keeps talking about all the time and whether and when it's it, it feels that it can actually... Um, bring those to life um, and abide by them, uh, particularly when, you know, billions of dollars uh, is at play and, you know, really powerful countries, particularly in the Gulf, are, uh, are so powerful uh, both from an economic perspective but also, as you see, with uh, uh, with Sheikh Salman, who's the, the president of, of AFC and vice president of FIFA, uh, that actually in senior positions of governance and therefore... It's really a, a, in part a film about whether sport is prepared to act for human rights or otherwise, uh, and the evidence of the film was that it's largely not unless it's forced. Uh, it's also a film about what Australians and others around the world can do when we come together, particularly through sport, but not exclusively, uh, to decide that the human rights of one single person are important to us, and that, and that begs the question as to you know, how many people's rights aren't you know, on our radar, are invisible to us. Uh, and it talks also to the point of refugees. You saw only very recently a boat that yeah. sunk uh, off Greece mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. around 500 people perished. And only several weeks later, there was this uh, submarine, um, yeah. torpedo submarine thing, well, I think five people, and it went down to the Titanic. And the people have rightly contrasted the international amount of coverage yeah. the the tone of the coverage yeah. uh the the you know the high profile people and politicians and others speaking out about this issue about you know five prominent wealthy people who very sadly perished there whereas a couple of weeks before there was 500 nondescript vulnerable invisible people largely pakistanis many women and children uh who died so the the story you know brings to life the issues around torture and discrimination and human mobility um, which includes climate action now um, uh, or or you know climate degradation and people 
many millions of people every year now increasingly are moving because of that and they're moving across borders and so really challenges us all to think about what that means for those people whether we're actually going to do something support them or as in Australia's case continue to uh, imprison them offshore so there were a lot of themes in the film um, it's been yeah. very well received it won the audience award at the Sydney Film Festival as you say it's now on Prime and and uh, you know I've had a lot of really strong positive reactions um, particularly through my website with just random people just getting in touch and so <laughs> I watched it and I was crying my eyes out and we all were you know I watched yeah. it three times we had a showing in that was the first time I'd seen it in yeah. Sydney Film Festival because uh, it is excruciating watching yourself on screen yeah. So even when they sent me the first version, you know, I, could, I didn't watch it. Uh, and then uh, Sydney and then Adelaide and then Melbourne. Um, and, uh, you know, watching it three times in a week, you know, both, both Hakeem and I were still crying watching it. So it's pretty emotional. Do you think that, you know, look, as you, as you come point out, it's actually been largely successful, this, you know, bringing it to the big screen and everything. And do you think that this is actually just another big example of the potential power of sport and we should see more examples of this essentially in the future that, that can really highlight the importance of what sport really does it can bring people together in the driving force of what it can be maybe it's not fully there yet but what it can be yeah that's totally right so uh, you know it's a global story uh, which is important so whilst it started in Australia it very much became global there was over 30 million people involved around the world in sharing something and uh, it's also a global story because it is also about FIFA and it's about the human rights policy that they had so you know we hope that uh, on on Prime which I think has over 100 million subscribers uh, that you know a lot of people are going to watch it because it's an uplifting story about what sport we think should really be about and that is about you know, the values of equality and inclusion and non-discrimination, which is, is what the story was. You know, it was a young Muslim Bahraini refugee living in a country called Australia, uh, which is challenged in a few of those different areas that I mentioned. Um, and yet people were prepared to see Hakeem as just the same as us. And the reason they were, one of the reasons, was because we all played sport. Mm. Um most of us played the same sport, but of course, you know, many, Australia is a sports-loving nation, and so this kid played sport, and people could immediately identify with him. And so the challenge from that, and then, and then so sports are mobilised, and the Socceroos and Matildas, our national teams, got involved, and, and uh, those teams, or sport broadly, has never been involved in Australia in relation to a refugee, to my knowledge, before. Yeah. And so the question to all of us is why? Why did we feel strongly about this case and why don't we feel strongly about all the other cases? And what could we do for people in all circumstances if we actually came together in this same way and decided that they're being mistreated and we don't think that's right? Yeah, I agree. And I think, as you said, I think also bringing it to film, because I've read the book as well, but it really does hammer home the the situation that he came out of and, and and the powerful imagery that that you're obviously able to utilize on film i think can really hopefully connects with audiences and hopefully also gets people just ordinary individuals involved in some way to sort of help as you said these these situations are happening all globally and they're happening daily and people are losing their lives um when this can be avoided um if there's a little bit more humanity in regards to sometimes the way governments and uh, and politicians sometimes handle these uh, situations. So as I said, I think it's a really, I think it's really great that you've been able to bring it to to screen. 
and hopefully, as you said, the, the response has been really positive, but hopefully it also connects with people that may not also know this yeah. story and know That's the true. struggles of some of these people. Exactly. Um, also, well, moving on to another big issue, I think, that's also going to come up in Australia especially uh, at the end of this year is the voice. So we know there's, there's a lot of discussion around the voice. We've obviously got a lot of people pro for it, a lot of some people coming out um, against it, I guess, in terms of uh, whether they think it'll work and whether they think it's a good thing for this country to move forward. Before we get into a bit more of the specifics, Craig, around the voice, uh, how have you seen, from your discussions with people, how have you seen people's, in terms of the way they're understanding of what the voice actually entails? And also, how do you think sport itself, how do you think they, how do you think the sporting community has in terms of um, helped and, and sort of uh, got out in front of the media to, to help educate people around the voice and, and, and potentially uh, educating people in terms of what the voice actually means for this country? Yeah, so basically um, First Nations people in Australia are carrying a very, very heavy load in 2023 because they are trying to do a number of things which all are difficult. Number one is engage in a process of truth-telling because the more we understand our history, the more likely we are to be supportive of reconciliation and the Uluru Statement, one-third of which, one part of which is the voice. Uh, And so therefore... This year, you know, still trying to bring out, and it was only recently, The Frontier Wars, the documentary series, which I think is on SBS, which is fantastic, came out. And so we're all still learning about the history of our own country, uh, which is challenging uh, because the more we know, the more likely we would be to to vote for The the Voice, in my view. Um, So that level of education um, is really important, and people are engaging in that now. Uh, also education around the actual constitution and constitutional change itself, um, which, uh, you know, many Australians, um, you know, haven't had time to think about. And so First Nations are trying to educate around what is a referendum, why is a referendum necessary, what is the constitution, why weren't we in there, what happened in 1901, why were First Nations excluded, uh, what was 1967 about, um, what is the race power in the constitution, um, you know, why is race already in there um, mm. in, in a negative sense, which allows governments to uh, suspend the Racial Discrimination Act uh, and, for, for example, with the, the Northern Territory intervention uh, under John Howard and these types of things. So all of these conversations are happening at the same time as they're trying to educate people on what the voice actually is, which, it, which itself is a big, uh, big challenge. So what I'm seeing is a, a huge amount of misinformation and um, a, a lot of just outrageous lies, actually. Uh, and what I was hoping was that Australia, we would just be able to have a conversation based on truth and facts and ev- everyone can have their own view. And we, you know, we all have a right, it's a democracy, to ultimately go and vote for what it is that we feel is right. But we, we should be able to just hold a conversation around the realities uh, and the truth and the facts of the matter. Do you think as well that in terms of sporting codes and organizations in Australia, so, you know, looking at across from the A-League to AFL to the NRL and everything, do you think that realistically they 
should be doing more in terms of just basic education, right? Because I think personally as well, one of the big things is when you have conversations with people, I don't think they really understand as to exactly what it means. Do you think that it's, it's an obligation to the people who also largely play these sports, represent the country and everything? Do you think that they can be doing a lot more in the realm of educating? Yeah, I really do. So firstly, I think it's a responsibility of every industry in Australia. So to, to step forward and to help shape the future of the country. So I don't believe, as some people like to say, that any particular industry which exists in Australia, which uh, engages with the Australian people, which uses Australian taxpayer resources, um, um, which is a part of the social fabric of our country, and sport is just one, and it is a big one, I don't believe any such industry um, should be able to stay on the sidelines and pretend to be neutral because... Uh, because there is no neutrality. We're talking here about the basic human rights of the Indigenous peoples of Australia. And therefore, every industry, uh, and I I think every person in Australia, has a duty to um, educate ourselves and to be engaged in this conversation, because this is for former generations and this is for future generations. I I consider it one of the most important decisions of my lifetime as Mm. an Australian, if not the most important. So... So sport cannot step out, cannot stay out of it, um, and so those who like to, and it's only a minority who like to continue yeah. to say that, um, I think they're wrong, and that view is discredited. In fact, the research is very clear in saying that Australians overwhelmingly expect sports people and sport to engage in these big conversations. Yep. They do not want them to pre- pretend to be neutral. They want to hear what they stand for. And when it comes to the voice, that's the question that everyone is being asked. What is it that you stand for yep. when it comes to First Nations rights and you know broader Australia and the coming together of the two? So I, I agree with you. I think um, you know a lot of people that I know and, and you know wonderful Australians um, who have uh, I would say legitimate concerns and issues and worries. Um, every time we have that conversation. Uh, you know, I find with the with the factual information that they invariably say, "Oh, okay, I didn't know that." Oh, well, that's that's yeah. that sounds fine. Yeah, then. Exactly. So there's there's just too much misunderstanding and too much disinformation at the moment, and there's literally millions of dollars are being spent in trying to convince Australians that it's something it's not, um, and that you know all of these doomsday Armageddon uh, scenarios are coming. When it, which is just completely ridiculous. And that's very sad because I was hopeful that we could engage in a conversation without that occurring. And that's a real problem. And what it does is it means we all have a, a greater duty then to do our own homework and to speak to as many people as possible. It's clear that um, you know, what's going around on Facebook and on other social media platforms is damaging. It's incorrect, yep. most of it, um, if not all of it. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's the reason for putting it out and therefore we have to engage with people as much as we possibly can to open those conversations. That's why it's important that we keep the dialogue open and that people aren't attacked for taking an alternate view. You know, as I say, um, we're all in a, on the different aspect of the continuum of knowledge, of understanding, of constitutional knowledge, of First Nations historic injustice knowledge, all of us. And so, therefore, people make a judgment based on where they are. As long as we come to it with good faith and with good will, i.e., we're not bad actors in that we're saying, well, you know, um, you know, uh, people who carry racism in their heart and so on just don't want it to happen anyway. 
I'm talking about people who genuinely want to do what's best for First Nations and for Australia. And all of those tens of millions of people, that's who we need to be constantly talking to, to say, what is it that you're concerned about? Oh, well, actually, that's, that's good. I've heard that before. The reality is one, two, three, four, and five. Mm-hmm. And here's somewhere you can go to actually read about the facts. So that's the process having to be engaged in in the next few months, particularly by First Nations leaders, which, you know, three months ago wasn't the case, but now that it's getting closer, the disinformation is clearly having an impact. So we have to push back against that. Were you encouraged to see, in terms of the sporting landscape, to see all those sporting codes get together and and obviously uh, show their support for The Voice? Was that for yourself an encouragement to see the sporting community finally standing up and seeing all different codes and all different leaders from their different sporting organisations actually come and, as you said, uh, showcase that they're taking a stance and show a position yeah. and show a clear position yeah, to, to wider society. Yes, I am encouraged by that, but it's a great question because it doesn't go far enough. Yep. So, you know, I've, I've been, you know, constantly talking about climate action through sport, for example, you know, which means you know we have a climate round and i don't think we even do that in australia but you know we'll do something we'll issue a press release but we don't take the work um, and learn educate ourselves and you know take action behind that i saw the statement from all of our professional sports i thought that's a wonderful start my question to them is what's next and uh, what they should be doing in my view is encouraging all of their grassroots members and clubs to have these conversations. So sport touches, uh, let's say, probably 15 million Australians at least, um, and football, my game, uh, has at least 3,000 plus clubs. So all of those 3,000 clubs are opportunities at the grassroots level to have this conversation. And so uh, I think that is the next step that needs to occur in the next few months. If AFL, cricket, football, rugby league, rugby union, netball, the biggest ones, Uh, said, listen, we're encouraging all of our grassroots clubs to engage through this forum. We will have some former players who are educated on this issue join you as well. We're completely open to concerns, uh, you know, and issues and worries. That's what this is about. Uh, But we want to have a conversation about disinformation and, you know, all these these things that you're constantly hearing. that's how sport should be operating now. If we really want to help the country change for the better, let's get actively involved, let's mobilise our grassroots and let's have those conversations. Similar examples when we have Indigenous Round, for example, in the NRL and AFL. Great to have those rounds, but what, what do we do for That's the rest right. of the year and how yeah. do we actually make an impact on society? Right. In terms of Australia as a, as a whole, Craig, do you think Australia is mature enough to have this conversation around this yes vote and to have and around the, the voice. Um, and I asked this question, especially after seeing the reaction, and you were on the broadcast with Stan Grant after the King's coronation and obviously some of Stan's comments yeah. and the abuse that he yeah. received yeah. and obviously since has stepped away from the ABC and some of the lack of support he's felt. And I, and I, I feel like with the coronation and... and and the voice, it sort of all goes hand in hand. It's dealing with our history and, and sort of facing up to our history and how are we going to move on as a collective. Do you think, as a nation, we are mature enough to, to really sit down and have a proper discussion around this and really see what's best for this nation and not just people's self-interest coming before what, what 
is potentially the way forward for Australia? Yeah, it's a really fantastic question. Um, you're right. In what happened to Stan around the coronation coverage was very similar and part of the same construct that we're seeing around The Voice, and that mm. is that you know, Australia has been in denial for 253 years about what happened here. We're only just learning the truth now. Uh, and therefore, when Stan wanted to talk about the crown and the monarchy and its role in dispossession and massacre, you know, and attempted genocide, at least in Tasmania anyway, where uh, the, the, the colonial uh, rulers there actually tried to wipe uh, Aboriginal people out off the mm. island. Um, uh, when he wanted to talk about that, it's like hitting the central nerve yeah. of the nerve system of Australia. And there's an autoimmune response still where a section of Australia just responds with yeah. outrage. Yeah. Saying, we go into a defensive can... mechanism. That's right. Craig. A lot That's of people exactly get right. it's as if it's not my fault. I wasn't there. I didn't do it, That's so right. I shouldn't take responsibility. That's one of the that's one of the things that people say. The reality is, I think we can agree that it is a defensive response, and it's yeah. almost automatic. And Stan yeah. knew it was going to happen. That's how courageous he is. First Nations people who want to engage in that conversation. My co-chair of the Republic Movement, Nova Paris, throughout the coronation period, uh, blocked hundreds and hundreds of abusive, including racially abusive people on a whole range of social media platforms and in the end just get sick of doing it like it's just a flood you can't block everyone um, the point about it is why does it occur it, it occurs because we haven't wanted to talk about these things and therefore our national identity is very much tied up in these issues of dispossession uh, and of the crown and and the monarchy's uh, role in that and until we unravel those and decouple our own unique national identity as multicultural ancient Australia from those moments, uh, that's going to continue to happen. Unfortunately, people like Stan you know, have to be continue to be courageous and others, non-Indigenous, to keep going there and keep talking about it and talking. And that's what they've been doing. That's why... You know, 20 years ago, if you talked about Invasion Day, you know, you would have been locked up. Yeah. Right? On Australia Day, people would have called for you to be literally locked up. Whereas today, it's normalised, and all of us essentially call it Invasion Day. And now there's a real conversation about the day, the meaning, and how we deal with that. Whether it remains as a day, but we change the tone and the understanding of it. Um, or whether the actual date changes, and that's a conversation for down the track. But that shows you how change happens. Yeah. But that's taken a lot of courageous people, particularly First Nations, to be in the front saying, listen, this hurts us and we need to talk about this. So, you know, the difficulty for The Voice is it's occurring in the same context that what yeah. happened to Stan. All right. So, you know, the question is, have we progressed far enough in that conversation to be able to do it? I hope so. Mm -hmm. I'm very optimistic, uh, but I do think the next four months needs to be very significant work, uh, you know, from every Australian who believes in, in reconciliation uh, to actually step forward and take responsibility ourselves because First Nations have been carrying that huge load. So it's clear that I see this as an inevitability. Australia, as a former colony, is obviously at some point going to get to the, to the end zone mm. where all of our understanding of ourselves and our history is based on truth and justice. 
and the and the and the reality is that's not the case yet because we're still discovering. It was only a couple of years ago when Newcastle University were doing their research into massacres against First Nations yeah. people, and yeah. and I think there are over four hundred and sixty. That's only a couple of years ago. So, in other words, most Australians, aside for academics, so let's say all Australians, more or less, prior to a couple of years ago, uh, you know, had no idea about the extent of massacre. So, you know, we're on this path, which I find, I think, is incredibly inspiring. And this, you know, and when people say, well, why should I feel guilty and so on? I say, well, you can feel however you want. Mm -hmm. The point of truth and justice is not to make you feel guilty. Mm -hmm. It's to have truth and justice. Mm -hmm. And... And in fact, you know, I, I don't feel guilty. I feel inspired by the fact that Australia is changing into a country that is courageous enough to, to vest our whole collective identity on truth. Yeah. You know, that's, what, that's the country I want to live in, you know, and that to me is the real Australia. So, you know, when people say, oh, why should I feel shame? I say, you don't have to feel shame. You can feel anything you want. Don't worry about it. No one's trying to make you feel anything. What we're saying is we need to know the truth of our own country. And truth means accountability and this is when we talk about charles and the monarchy and the crown the crown was at the heart of this and so when you know in the republic movement i say the same thing i say well the crown has to be accountable because australia's basically fighting ourselves a little Mm. bit trying to move forward you know through the voice and the process of reconciliation is about truth telling and then saying okay guys you know we're stolen from you we get it um now let's come together and make an agreement so that we walk, you know, yep. multicultural Australia and, and First Nations. It's a beautiful vision. It's a stunning vision. Um, and, then, and then people say, oh, well, you're attacking the, the a crown or you're attacking Charles. We're saying, we're not attacking anyone. We're not attacking anyone. What we're saying is everyone in the history of Australia and elsewhere needs to be accountable to yep. their actions. Um, and therefore, the crown is a part of that, and so that's a new conversation for Australia as well. And people, you can love the, you can love the monarchy, you can love Elizabeth, you can love Charles. That's perfectly wonderful. But by the same token, you have to also recognise and acknowledge that they are at the heart of what happened to First Nations. But you can have those two things. You can acknowledge truth and still love them. Yeah. That's a matter for you. Um, everyone makes their own determination, their own judgment on that. So there's too, I think there's too much energy expended at the moment from those who are reluctant to change uh, uh, on, you know, feelings and how they're supposed to or how they feel about it, you know. I think there should be less concern about that and just more concern about truth underpinning the, the written history of Australia and reconciliation in bringing us together, uh, you know, through the Uluru Statement. Yeah, I think, as you said, I think it, it's a really good point in regards to to accountability and, and people not taking it as a personal attack when, when an That's individual right. such as Stan Grant raises issues about his people. This is affects Stan's okay. person. That is a personal thing for Stan That's and right. any Indigenous First Nations people. That is a personal um, feeling and that is passed down from generation to generation and the notion just of some people to say, just get over it, it's happened and we've got to move on. That doesn't. It's not as simple as... That doesn't work like that in, in regards to the way, as a no, nation, no. we need to move forward. And that's, that's right. why this voice vote, which, which is going to come up very, which is coming up very soon, is integral for this, I think is integral for this country and so important to see where, as I, as I came back to that question, see where we are as a nation and are we mature enough yeah. to take accountability 
and actually come together and have a proper discussion and see what is the best way for us to move forward together. Yeah, let's hope that happens. So the next few months is just about pushing back on what I call the disinformation. And again, it, you know, it, it's keeping the conversations open. So saying to people, you know, you, if you disagree, okay, that's perfectly fine. You know, I agree with it um, and you disagree, but let's keep the conversation open because when we do that, uh, so for example, I was walking down here, I'm in Randwick in Sydney, I was walking down here and one of our councillors walked past me only yesterday and said, um, oh, can I just ask you, Craig, about a couple of things about The Voice? I said, yeah, great. Because she said, I saw that you were at a thing and, you know, you were speaking about it, you know, with Linda Burney and so on, the Indigenous Minister. And I said, yeah, yeah what, what is it? She said, I'm a councillor and we're going to do one of our own forums yeah. um, and, I'm a, and I'm on the no side. I'm a no voter. And I said, mm. okay. And she said, and, and what my question is this, and she was just talking about the process of the meeting. Anyway, and I said to her, um, that's a great question. Yeah, perfect. My personal view is that the way the council should handle it is one, two, three, four, and five, because it's fair, it's open, and everyone has to have a forum yep. within any community to be able to voice their concerns. Um, however, I said to her, what are your concerns out mm. of interest? And we then had about a 30-minute conversation where she said, well, because it's not really going to do anything. And because, you know, when Aboriginal people have say in what they're doing, you know, nothing goes forward. And I said, well, actually, that's interesting because that's it's not true. Mm. Um, and I can point you to a book now which talks about ATSIC and all of the key areas, which we call the gaps, which actually um, uh, made very significant, vast improvements in those areas uh, before it was shut down. Yeah. So... You know, but this is what people are saying. So I keep asking everyone because I want to hear why it is that you think, you know, this is not right. And then we'll say, well, it's not going to make any practical difference. So, so, well, actually, that's really interesting because it's clear that it is. The reason being is because what happened to ATSIC? And so then we run through that conversation. So the, and they're always they're generally the same pushbacks. And then it is, well, it's going to, uh, uh, you know, provide special rights they're talking about now. So, well, hang on. Um, what it's doing is it's acknowledging the first owners of the country mm. who are currently not acknowledged, um, and therefore that is a special position. They are the traditional owners of the country. Um, and the rest of us came afterwards, and yeah. therefore you know, we're, we're the only country in the Commonwealth with Indigenous peoples that hasn't recognised that. So um, they hold a special position, but that's different from special rights. And then as Indigenous peoples, they have a right to self-determination. And because I said to her, what, what's been demonstrated around the world, Native Indians, Canadian Indians and others, is that Indigenous peoples in the Amazon and elsewhere, that when they are not included in decision-making around their culture, which generally the broader population uh, don't understand, mm. right? and that's obvious to all of us. You know, like, I don't understand dream time, I don't mm. understand song lines, I don't understand, you know, how all the nations came together. So that's just reality. So therefore, we cannot realistically make um, sound, evidence-based and culturally appropriate decisions on an indig for an Indigenous community without their direct involvement. Yeah. And history yeah. has proven that. And therefore, uh, the United Nations has a Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples for that reason because indigenous peoples were dying out um, or were suffering such deleterious you know impacts of colonization that they have the countries have to do something so then i said to her this is just 
This is about all Indigenous peoples around the world. So uh, these are not special rights just in Australia. What we're saying is we're just providing an opportunity to be heard and to be involved in decision-making, and that actually is their right. doesn't matter if they're in Australia or in Canada. Um, and so by the time we finish, what I find, and I have many of these conversations, by the time we finish, I almost invariably find people saying, oh, well, okay, yeah, well, I didn't know that, <laughs> right? You know, and that and that's right because they probably don't have the time to, you know, and energy to, to, you know, I've got more time to study it. You know, I'm actively involved in it because I have a profile. I know that I need to be accurate on what I say. Yeah. So, you know, I've done a huge amount of work and a huge, huge amount of homework. So, but I think we need to be gentle and kind in those conversations to not to say, well, you know, you're an idiot. You don't know mm. what you're talking about. No, no, quite the opposite. I say, well, listen, you know, why is it that you feel that way? Because I might be able to help you with some information that, that um, you know, could perhaps change your view. So that's the conversation that we have ahead of us in, in, with as many Australians as possible in the next four months. And we don't need to... Someone said, oh, we have to be persuasive. And I said, well, we're not, no, you don't have to be persuasive in the sense that you're an orator and you have to persuade someone. No, all you really have to do is say, what are the problems that you have with it? Okay, here's the right information. Because it's so, it really is straightforward. But of course, um, you know, people who want to muddy the waters, you know, are, are putting an incredible amount of energy and time in, in putting in people's minds things which just aren't correct. So we need to correct the misinformation in the next few months in order to bring good Australians across where they say, oh, I'm completely comfortable then, as they should be. And look, just lastly on that is, you know, and I think you've definitely just hit the nail on the head with your example of it's just it's it's these conversations that constantly need to happen. It's the not persuading someone. It's the information, right? It's the correct information. Once you understand the correct information, you understand it. You understand why. Do you think that, you know, linking it back into sport right now, we have the Women's World Cup, which is about to kick off, right? It's yeah. going to be captivating Australia and the world. And for me, a World Cup is that opportunity to celebrate, you know, your country's history, both past and present, right? But yeah, for us right yeah. now, it's that it's, it's we're neglecting the past, right? Do you think that yeah, that's right. we will see then potentially some of these Matilda stars yeah. kind of speaking up? Or is it just that we're hopeful that maybe someone takes this opportunity where there's yeah. literally the audience is all there, that there's this opportunity to step up? And Same. we know the complications with FIFA and, and stepping up and taking a stance on issues, but... Do you think from a yeah. sporting, from an Australian perspective, that it could that that could be the almost tipping point here where we can really project it forward? Well, that's, again, a really good question. Um, I hope that some of the players, if not the team, um, you know, are going to, you know, make some comments in support. And, and you know, I thought they might have been able to, for instance, create conversations around yeah. it, you know, like... The Matildas are in camp now, so it's open to them to say, look, we're training here. You know, we've got this evening off. Why don't we do a, a Zoom? Or, But, you know, um, every athlete is at a different level of their understanding as well. And so, you know, we can't un- assume that they are experts. Uh, so, but it would be fantastic. You know, I'm hopeful. Is the governing body who should carry the majority of responsibility yeah. for that, um, are they going to do something really substantive? Well, that's an open question. I very much doubt it, to be honest yeah. with you, which is, I think, sad. Um, you know, what we'll, what we, I hope what we'll see is more than just a Matilda's jersey with uh, Indigenous writing and, and artwork um, holding an Aboriginal flag. 
uh, and you know talking about holding up this First Nations culture to the world. We'll hear a lot about that. But we're holding up something symbolically at the very time that we're having a conversation yeah. whether we're going to do something of substance. Mm. And that's the line that sport doesn't like to cross. And I think it's a magnificent opportunity for Australian football right now to say, during this World Cup, we want to talk about reconciliation and the Uluru Statement and the voice. Uh, because not just to Australians, but to a billion and a half people who are going to yeah, be watching. Exactly. Because we want to let you know around the world that we are serious about this and that this is our First Nations people and that we're coming together. You know, that could be the story of this World Cup. Is it going to be? Uh, I don't know, but I hope so. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we do see any any uh, action, as you said, by more the governing body, even even more so than, than some of the players potentially. Yeah, but uh, but right. we'll wait and see with the Women's World Cup. Well, Craig, it's been a real pleasure to have you on uh, yeah. the podcast today. It's been really fascinating to hear your insights yeah. and thoughts on, on some of the issues we've explored. And obviously, we all wait and see what happens with this voice vote. And, and hopefully, as a nation, uh, we're mature enough to make the, the right decision. Um, and hopefully, we, it's a step in the right direction for this nation in terms of moving forward all together and, and with our First Nations people. Absolutely. All right, guys. Always good to chat with you. Thanks Thank so you. much, Craig. Thank you.